Welcome to the Paragold Podcast. This is Jared Pickney, and I'm joined today by the Chief of Police, Todd Stovall. Todd, thanks so much for coming on. Yes, sir. Thank you. So, how long have you actually been serving as the Chief of Police in Paragold? I started the Chief of Police in 2009, January of 2009. Okay. Um, what did you do before you became the Chief? Well, I've become... Uh, I have served several roles throughout the department. So I okay. started the police department in 1990. Okay. Um, Here in Yes, sir. Yes, yeah. sir. Um, let me back up just a moment. Mm-hmm. So I'm from Paragol. Went okay. to school, graduated from Greene County Tech. Okay. Upon graduation from, from Tech, I went into the United States Coast Guard and served four years in the Coast Guard. I got out of the Coast Guard in April of 1990 and, and came to work at the police department in May of 1990. So I've been there ever since. So I'm pushing 32 years. That's awesome. What made you decide to go into the Coast Guard? You know, I was looking at the I was looking at the Army. I was looking at different things mm-hmm. at the time, and there was a recruiter from Memphis that come in one day. And uh, I don't know how much you know about the Coast Guard, but they're kind of a unique group, smallest group of the armed forces, mm-hmm. and they they fall under the armed forces during time of war. And when they're not in time of war, they fall under the Department of Transportation. So they take care of. Uh, buoys they take care of navigational issues they take care they do a lot of the uh, law enforcement of the the ships and and cargo that comes into the united states through the ports they enforce a lot of those laws and they also do life-saving of course so when the recruiter comes he throws the film up on the wall and it's it's a 44 footer breaking over about a 20 foot wave and going down and then the wave covers it you can't even see the boat and here they come again and back in that day the, um, the Coast Guard's motto was, we have to go out, we don't have to come back. So it was kind of one of those rah, rah, re. Yeah. we're going to go try to save everybody, and if we don't make it back, that's just part of life. Man, so that, uh, yeah. that connected with you. Yeah, it hooked me. Was that always kind of a part of your personality, like uh, daredevil, like risk taker? You know, not really. It really wasn't. I was, I was a pretty, uh, when it comes to daredevil and stuff like that, that really wasn't part of me. I was pretty safe when it came to things, but I don't know. I guess as you get older, things change, and I really like the idea of of working a job when you wasn't actually doing the life-saving and, and other things. You know, one of the things that he talked about, when all your other services, your Navy and your Air Force and, and the Army and so forth, for a lot of those guys, they're training constantly for war because we have to have them, and they have to be they have to be ready to go at any time. When a Coast Guard, you fall under the Department of Navy, and we're the small boat section of that, so we're really, you know, we're transporting people back and forth to shore and things of that nature, if you go back and look at, at, at their history. But when we're not doing our training, which is only a couple times a, a year, we're doing something else. So we're, we're on a buoy tender, and we're, we're making sure the navigational buoys are in place. Mm-hmm. Or you're on an icebreaker breaking ice. Or you're at a small boat station doing search and rescue. So... And, and also with the search and rescue, that the small boats also do law enforcement. So there was a lot of things going on there where you wasn't just doing That was one of the selling points. I wasn't just going to be every day going out, shooting at something, yep. and coming back. I had a job to do, and then I got to do the fun stuff also. That's cool. So, so when you finished that after four years, did you know immediately you wanted to go into law enforcement in Paragold? No, sir. Okay, so how did that happen? <laughs> um, believe it or not, my mom cut hair here for probably 40 years. Really? Where she at? cut men's hair. It was called the mail shop. Okay. And it was located right next to Dodge Door. Okay. And she had been there for like, so she cut nothing but men's hair. So she cut a lot of the officer's hair, you name it. She had a big clientele. And she contacted me when I got home. She said, hey, the police department's hiring. Well, the officers come in today and said, they're hiring. So I went in, uh, 
I went in up there to put my application in. Of course, now times have changed since uh, I, I, I came on board in 90. <laughs> and I go in, and, I, and Dennis Hyde's the chief of police, and he calls me in there, and he says, oh, here, you're, you're looking for a job. And I said, yes, sir, I am. And, I, and we talked a little bit about my background. He said, he said, okay. He said, fill out this app. I don't even know if I filled an app out, but he said, I'll holler back at you. I said, okay. Well, as I'm walking out the door, Sandra Maker was a dispatcher at the time. I don't know if you remember Sandra, but she had two boys named Todd and Mike, and I went to school with both of them. And Sandra said, uh, Todd, what are you doing? I said, well, I come up here to try to get a job. And she said, oh, okay. So I really believe Sandra Maker's the reason why I'm a police <laughs> officer. I think she probably went back and told Dennis, hey, that's a pretty good kid. You can hire him. So the next day I get a phone call saying, come on up. Let's go get some uniforms. And, and of course, they do their backgrounds and so forth on me. But that's how it all started. Yeah. So how did you get from there to being the chief of police? Like what's that process look like? Or at least what it looked like for you? Well, you know, it's it's a lot of luck as far as just being blessed to be able to have the roles I had. So I, I came on working nights, working patrol. After three years, I went into CID, and I worked for five years in CID. There was four, three of us in CID at that time. So we worked CID for five years. In 98, I came out, went back on patrol, and worked that till about 2004. 2004, I made captain, and then from captain, I went into the chief. Okay. So um, it's a lot of it's a lot of luck because we have a lot of good officers and it's hard sometimes. I always tell people the hardest part of my job is promoting people. Mm. It's not necessarily firing them for if someone does something to the point I have to fire them, I can't save them. I'll do my best to save an officer. To mm. you know, we're going to work things out, make things work. But if there comes mm-hmm. a point, sometimes you can't. Mm-hmm. Um, but when you have to promote, and you're looking across the table, and you got four or five people that are very capable of doing the job and, and are deserving it's hard to pick one mm. it's very hard and then mm. you have to tell those other ones why you didn't pick them mm. and that's that's a tough thing to do oh man I bet. how many police officers do we currently have right now we have 50 we're supposed to have 53 we're three down okay um we was blessed by the city council another uh five i believe another five we got blessed for this year now so that gives us up to eight that we're empty problem of it is it takes a long time to fill those positions because we compete with so many other people for for jobs right now i mean law enforcement the biggest struggle law enforcement having is having right now is retention and hiring why do you think that is i know you said the competition part of it but retention is due to the uh, the negativity and and just the drama that's going on in the world right now and yeah. law enforcement's in a spotlight of that unfortunately once you know we talked about that enforcement role yeah it's tough and hey, that's been a big change from whenever you stepped into the 90s right yes yes um i remember when 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 dennis hired me years ago his his whole thing was he says here's your stuff and don't go out there and beat everybody up and nowadays these guys are playing everything from mental health helping people with mental health issues on calls to helping people who are you know been an accident i mean the roles that the officers play now is so much more than when i came to work it's unbelievable and it makes you very proud of them because to do what they do and when i sit back and think about it, i wonder could i've done that at the time that i joined because these guys have a lot on their plate a lot on their plate yeah have you has the negative media around police, have you noticed, like, has that impacted y'all's work here, like, in Paragold, or is it, 
not really seem like it's affected very much the job that you all have had to do. It hasn't affected us in our job because we live in Paragould. Yeah. And I, there's no other place in the United States I'd rather work hmm. than Paragould, Arkansas. We have been, from the time I started till today, this community has been the best of the best for the police department. 100% support. Always has been. And, hmm. and I've been thrilled to come to work every day knowing that these people have my back. Yeah. And uh, we don't deal with a lot of things that other departments deal with. Hmm. And it's, it, it's a blessing. Yeah, that is a blessing. So how does someone, you said it's not necessarily easy to find, and I think a lot of people say that's really good help, you know. Um, how do you actually become a police officer? Like, what's that process look like? So you put in an application with the city, and there's certain criteria you have to have. You have to uh, be a graduate of high school and be 21 years old, and there's certain criteria that you meet. Um, once we get your application, we normally, twice a year, we do a um, we do a testing. And... During the testing, they will come in, and they have a uh, we have a small agility test. It's not real big, but we have an agility test they run. If they pass the agility test, then they go into a written test. And if they pass the written test, then they go into an interview. Interview is about 10 questions in front of the captains, lieutenants, HR, so forth. And then we take these results, and we put them in order. And the ones we have in order, we start doing backgrounds on. Hmm. And backgrounds oftentimes takes a lot of people out. Wow. Because of the restrictions of being on the job. And you have to remember, we're looking for that person who's going to stay with us. We, we, want, mm-hmm. we want to hire those people who want to be with us. And that's, that's a problem I think you're starting to see in a, with law enforcement is a lot of people are uh, – we don't have uh, a lot of people who, who are um, what I call company people anymore. Does that make sense? They're yeah. not sold in that, in that job. It's more about – it's a job for now, and I can move on. Yeah, that's interesting. I've not thought about that, but that is. You know, my, I have a, my dad got a job at Monroe when he was eighteen, and he worked there for the rest of his life. Yes, sir. And you don't really see that anymore. Why do you think that is? You know, it's encouraged. I, I read a lot, uh, trying to stay, you know, involved with with what's going on in the hiring process and, and things going around. And it's encouraged for these younger people to change jobs frequently. It's an encouraged thing to, to do better and bounce up, bounce up, bounce up. And I understand that, but it's really hard for us because it takes a little while to learn this job. You just don't go in and then two weeks later say, oh, yeah, I've got it. You know, I have to pick this part up or I have to do this and do that. It ain't like that. There's so much they have to do. And not just – even when you come out of the academy, you know, the academy gives you the basics. It gives you your toolkit. Okay, I know how to do a traffic stop. I know how to do these things. But until you start really dealing with people, yeah, uh, you don't really learn, and you got to you got to learn people. You got to you got to understand why, what makes them tick, what makes them mad, what mm-hmm. makes them happy. What do we? How do we handle these people? And you only get that from just on the job experience. That can't. That's not something that can be taught in a textbook. No, sir. Is that the hardest part you think of being a police officer? Is the relational component? Yes, yes, and not not um, allowing the outside world to turn you. Uh, against everybody because you know when you're when you're trying to do your very best at a job and then the outside world is continually kind of kind of beating on you a little bit and we're blessed as I said in Paragol we don't get that but you hear it you you, you hear the voices rattling you hear from from the news and so forth you know you, you people don't understand you we kind of talked about this earlier people don't understand what the guys have to do and they don't as I said the things they deal with nowadays 
is 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 unbelievable. But then you have to think about that officer, you know, throughout his day, the things he may come across in a twelve hour period is is I mean, oh, he may man. go to an accident and deal with a death. He may go to a call where there's a child that's been beaten. He may go, you know, it's just it, it's a continuation sometimes of bad events. Yeah. And these guys have to decompress and take that in and get up the next day and go at it again. On and, top of the fact that maybe who knows what's going on in your private life. Yes, sir. The stress of whether it's finances or marriage or children or illness, right? Talked about this also recently has heart issues. Like, yes, yeah, you have all just, that, right? Yes, sir. Yeah, the world, and that's what I'm saying. The world sometimes when you when you take our job and then you throw the world on top of it, sometimes it's just really hard. It is, man, and you know I'm I'm in no position to call shots or pass judgment or you know decide who's in the right and wrong and a lot of the videos that obviously we see online of you know this guy's choked out by a police officer or shot when he shouldn't have been shot or whatever I and mean, you've seen all those but what's sad to me is how quick we all are to pass judgment on a situation and we've never been there you know like we have no idea like you know like these people that are just bashing the police and hey man they pulled the gun too fast it's like has anybody ever pulled a gun on you or has anybody ever you know have you ever been in a situation like that where a guy reaches into his pocket and you have no idea what's coming out it's like and you take all the stress like it's just it's not so black and white you know to where it really is one of those situations where I mean I know for me personally it's like I have no idea how I'd respond if I was in a situation I'd like I mean how's that 2020 right you'd like to look back and be like oh I would have definitely not done that but it's like, man, how do you know? And then you see that. And I would imagine when it's hard to find good police already just because of whatever the reasons, then you get the negative media where police are knocking out the bad guys. I would imagine, like, there are fewer and fewer kids that are growing up and being like, when I grow up, I want to be a police officer. I mean, yeah. So I don't know what the, what the fix is for that or what we do. But, you know, we talked about this a little bit earlier, even how – it's interesting how the fire department, you know, they're kind of viewed as the good guys and the police officers are not. I don't know if you feel that um, at all. We're pretty, ble- once again, blessed in Paragol that we don't feel that. But, yes, anytime you're in that enforcement role, you will always be the bad guy compared to, to those who don't have to enforce the law. Yeah, yeah it's just kind of the nature that comes with that. So what are you, um, what exactly are you looking for like when someone submits an application, they, you said they didn't go through the, um, I guess, the physical assessment, all that. Like, what are you guys actually looking for in a good police officer? You know, you um, you learn most of everything off of the interview because it's not necessarily the questions, but you, you kind of get a feel of where someone's at, where they want to be. Uh, are they are they sold on being a police officer or is a police officer just a job? Mm-hmm. Um, and and to do this job with everything that's involved, you got to be sold. You got to be committed because if not, it, it it'll break you down. You yeah. can't. This can't just be a job. You won't last. Yeah. So um, we, we that's really the telltale to me. Yeah. What is it that breaks you down? Is it going back to that relational component of just like having people, you know, whatever in your face or yelling, or or is it the what you see? Is it the hours? Um, we're, we're blessed in our department for we, we work 12-hour shifts. Um, so you work two days on, you get a couple of days off. You work three days on, you get, to, you know. 
So uh, we have a lot of time off, so I believe that really helps the guys. Um, I think really the, the hardest thing for me when I was on, on patrol and the things that I hear, just the rumblings, is, is really the calls. The, the, that's what breaks you. I mean, when you go deal with, with, with a child abuse case or you, mm-hmm. go, you, you go deal with a, a child that's, that's been killed or you deal with, with, with a family that's lost somebody and, and you have to deliver that news. I mean, uh, and then you have to go home to your family and you got to be dad or you got to be oh, mom. Man. And you got to deal with those problems at home, as we all have them. So you're, you're carrying the, the burden of your, your your community, and then you go home and carry your own burden. And for some people, it's just too much. Yeah. How do you how do you turn that off? How do you yeah you see like you said the the child who loses his life, and then you go home to your own family? Everybody handles it differently. And the one thing that that I've had to explain sometimes is. Um, so you take a call where we may be at a, a fatality accident, and there's been times that that I've had people come to me afterwards and say, "I seen I seen a couple of those officers over the side, and they were laughing." And and I'll tell them, I said, "Well, trust me, they weren't laughing over the incident. They're trying to keep from breaking down. Yeah, they're they're trying to deal with what they're dealing with. Because yeah. that may this may not be their first their first incident day that was bad. Yeah. And they're trying they're trying to cope with this because they got to go on and, and deal with something else. They may have to go next and deal with the little lady that's fell on the floor, be totally off this. But we got to change our mode now, yeah. or we may go deal with a bad guy. So we may go from a bar fight and then turn around and have to go with." Uh, a kid that's dialing 911 and, and playing with the phone. So you got to go from being an aggressive, taking care of business to being a, a basically a babysitter and saying, hey, little one, we can't do this. So, you, yeah. I mean, the roles that they have to change. And so sometimes how we relieve that stress isn't really – people don't understand it. Totally. But uh, but it's, it's never – you know, it, it, everybody deals with it differently. Yeah, I mean, you can see where someone, if they were the person who was in the wreck and they saw that – it would, you know, to them be like, oh, these these officers don't care or whatever else. But you can't be as emotionally involved as the actual people in the accident because if you're that emotionally involved as the people who are in the accident, every single time it happens, like there's no way you could withstand it. And so it's, you know, I've had a friend who helped run a funeral home and he would talk about just, you know, the way they would even talk behind the scenes as opposed to, you know, in front of the family or whatever. And he would say, like, it's not that we don't care. It's not that we're heartless. It's just that you have to somehow find a way to emotionally detach because you're around death and you're around pain and suffering so much that your body literally just couldn't hold all that yes. if you took it in. Yes, sir. So that makes sense. So what does that, let me ask you this. What does a typical day look like for a Paragold police officer? So we'll, we'll start in the morning. Six o'clock is a shift rotation change. So they come in at six. Uh, COVID's changed some things. Used to, we came in early and 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 set and kind of talked about what our day, what we had going on, passed on from the night before, and, and kind of get some assignments going. So with COVID, we're not meeting up and like we used to. So they go into cars, and one of the things that 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 we're fortunate is our cars are outfitted with computers, and I mean we're we're really blessed with our setup. So we can pass messages back and forth and put everything in. And so they, they start out in the mornings. It's kind of slow at 6, typically. Not a lot going on. People trying to get to work. Uh, people getting kids ready for school and so forth. So 6 to 8 is not too bad. Traffic with the school and so forth. Then normally around 8 to, to 12, we get a little steady. Uh, kids not going to school. A few little things here. Maybe an accident or two. 
Then about noontime, it's like everybody gets their belly full, and that's time to go do some <laughs> stuff, right? So things pick up. People start stirring more. Uh, you know, it's often uh, – it's probably universal, but your bad guys a lot of times, they sleep to around noon or 4 <laughs> o'clock in the afternoons. They sleep all day and they're up at night. So normally afternoon is when things really get busy, and it's just it's, – it's accidents. It's traffic. It's, it's, we get more calls. People are up stirring, uh, taking reports. So – Second shift comes in, the night shift comes in at six at night, and they normally hit the ground running. They don't have that downtime, so they're they're automatically they're taking calls. A lot of times when they check in their car and say I'm in service, there's a call ready for them to, wow. because because day shift's running so hard. They got wow. they may have calls backed up, so night shift comes in at six and they take off, and then hopefully they run decent. But as their night goes along, they slow down. So normally, hopefully around midnight, 1 o'clock, things have, everybody's kind of went to bed, things have kind of been put up, and then we're, uh, their job is, is checking buildings and, and, and patrolling the neighborhoods. How many uh, officers are y'all, y'all, y'all have running per shift? Most shifts have eight officers, but you won't have eight running at a time okay. due to sickness, vacation, schooling, okay. so forth. So anywhere from six to eight typically, sir. Okay. All right, six to eight. So... You talked about things begin to fire up crime. You said between six and twelve ish. What type of crime do we see the most? Like what? What are the majority of your calls coming in? Are they domestic? What, what, what exactly have we experienced? We have a variety, but if you pulled up our stats at the end of the year, you'll find we have probably more theft than anything. Theft's kind of the gasoline to everything, and what I mean by that is it fuels. If I have a, if I don't have a job, and need some something to eat. A lot of times, I go steal something to get that. If I'm a, if I'm a druggie and I need drugs, I'll steal something to go get that. So theft, oftentimes, is our number one crime, because that's how you get your money to do something if you're not working. And so we have a lot of theft, um, and that's why you'll see throughout the year. We always encourage people lock your doors, lock your cars, especially. That's that's a. It's amazing to me how many people will not lock their car doors, yeah. and people get in there and take their stuff. And and but but those are it's really you know we're ble- we don't have a lot of violent crime in Paragol. If you notice that, well, we'll knock on some wood here, but yeah. <laughs> we don't we don't have a lot of violent crime. Yeah. We're really I mean we don't have a lot of murders. We don't have a lot of aggravated assaults and, and that type of stuff. Never really have. No, no. Yeah. Been like I said, we've been very fortunate, but we have a lot of the, the smaller things. So theft is probably the number one. We take theft reports. And, and of course, you always have your domestics. Neighbors aggravated each other, or husband and wife, or the kids dealing with a, a teenage son or daughter. So it's, it's a variety. Yeah. Drug-related, that about the same as it's been the last 10, 15 years. You've seen an increase in that? I think everybody's seen an increase due to the opioids. Yeah. Uh, That's our biggest issue, right? Pharmaceuticals is our biggest issue. It is. Uh, the pills that cured everything now. When you go to the doctor, you get a pill to fix everything. Oh, man. And so um, now the kids have figured that out, and they're getting in mama's cabinets, and or your buddy comes over, and you don't know it, but he may have an issue, and he's in there in your cabinet. When he uses, goes to the bathroom, he's borrowing, your, borrowing some pills from you. But um, pharmaceuticals is the number one problem right now. We still have meth. We still have uh, cocaine, marijuana, all the other things that are out there. They're still there. And as long as, the, you know, I always say, as long as there's a, a desire for it, people are going to keep making it and putting it out there. So, yeah. Um, of course, we, we're trying to battle a lot of that. Of course, with the uh, with the opioids, now we have Narcan, which is a, a spray that we use if someone goes into an opioid, uh, if they black out or, or go into an overdose with that, we have a spray we can put in their nose hmm. that brings them back around. Hmm. Um, and it's gotten to a point where 
I guess I guess that's where I'm going with that. Opioids gotten so bad that we've actually now we have a spray that we carry with us, a, you know, a medicine to carry with us to help people get out of that. Uh, uh-huh. So that's that's our biggest problem. One of the things I know that you're proud of as a chief is that you started the street crimes unit, um, which I'll be honest, I don't know a whole lot about. Um, so I'm wondering if you can just explain that. What exactly is the SCU? Street crimes is a, I have a four-man street crimes unit uh, with a canine. So one of the officers is a canine officer, and I have... A Belgian Mountain Is uh, that right? Uh, yes, right now. And then we're fixed to, he's fixing to retire, and we're fixing to get uh, new dogs. So I believe, I don't know if we're getting shepherds, or I know one, I know we're for sure getting one shepherd. I don't know if the other one's going to be a Malawar or a, okay. a, another shepherd. But So we have one with a, uh, one with a dog, three other officers. Um Really what we designed them for is we, we started having issues in some of our neighborhoods with uh, drug activity, gunshots, things of that nature. Well, patrol's busy. Eight o'clock at night, patrol's running. I mean, they're, they're dealing with just calls between just, I mean, you name it, theft and traffic and accidents and everything going on. So we weren't able to focus on some of these troubled areas because we got to take care of our community, all of our community. Mm-hmm. So we developed this group to go out and help us take care of this. So they could go out, I could say, okay, guys, in this neighborhood here, we're having some issues and we need to hit it. We need to go over there and and, sh- and and make our presence known. Bad guys don't like police. Yeah, what does that mean, make make your presence known? How does, just, what does that look like? We want, the, we want the good people to see us and we want the bad people to see us. Okay. It means so just, just walk, if you're driving around walking? Driving around, walking around, talking to people, just letting everybody know that we're there. And most of the time, bad guys, when they, they get a whiff of that, they're like, yeah, it's time to go somewhere else. Yep. Because it's bad for business. Yep. So that's kind of what how it got started. And then our CID was a four-person unit, and they were running really hard because they there, there was too much on their plate, and there's still too much on their plate, in all honesty. But so what I did was we took the drugs out of off, out of their lap and give it to SCU. So the SCU, the street crimes unit, handles our drug cases. All so drug cases. They handle the drug cases. So the, my, my CID, they handle theft, rape, all your other felony crimes. So they handle those. So they're kind of split up. I have two groups handling felony crime, but this one here is handling all the dope. And so street crimes, when they're not doing that, we have them out hitting areas, troubled areas we may have in town. And we're also part of several different organizations. They have task force. So the FBI has a task force. The... the um, Marshals have a task force. Uh, ATF, Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms, has a task force. Mm-hmm. So you have a lot of people have these task forces, and how they work is they'll say, hey, I've got three officers. Can you give me one to borrow at times if I need them? Mm-hmm. And Jonesboro may give them one. It's one of so now all of a sudden you've got a group of five, five to ten people from different organizations, but they'll fall under the umbrella of one of those forces. So if we're part of working ATF that day, we're falling under the ATF umbrella. We, we're, so we're working for them in a sense. And where that comes back around to help us is, is if we're having issues in Paragul, we can pick the phone up and say, hey, we need some help. Now the ATF and that little group comes to Paragul. You ever had to do that? Never oh, yeah. We do it all the time. All the time. They, they come in. Like just cases that are too big for us to handle, like it's just as far as time-wise, energy-wise? Um, well, a lot of times it's just um, it, it's kind of like if we have an area that's having some issues, We'll holler at those guys. Say, "Hey, we need to go. We need to go serve some warrants, and we need we need to go walk some neighborhoods and do some." Th- and we'll call those people, and they come and help us. 
So it's a help situation. Or we've got a guy down here dealing drugs, but he's over here and he's, he's pushing them into Jonesboro or vice versa. So we get with those guys, so we're, we're connecting together and working together. And everybody has a different resource. Jonesboro has more resources than we do. They're a bigger department. Uh, ATF or your federal agencies, uh, DEA, all those, they have lots of, lots of resources. Uh, we work a lot with them, with the uh, probation parole, the federal guys, probation parole, state and federal. And some of the state agencies down in Little Rock, I mean, they have, I mean, they have bloodhounds and helicopters and all kinds of goodies that if something happened and we need to help, we can make those phone calls and we can bring these resources in Paragould. So one of the one of the one of the things that makes SEU so important to us is we have access to some of these resources. And in the meantime, we also go help them. So they stay pretty busy and uh, they're they're oftentimes misunderstood because people don't see them. Uh, Talking about the SE? Yes, the- SE. I'm sorry. The street comes unit. A lot of people, you don't see them. Kind of like what you said. I really don't know what they are or what they do. Yeah. Is that intentional see- that we don't see them? Or like are y'all trying to keep them a little bit more well, under the radar? or Not really. Okay. It's just the fact of what they do. They're just not really out in. I mean, unless we're working in a neighborhood where we need to be seen, they're doing their paperwork or they're they're in they're in Corning doing something or they're they're in Jonesboro doing something or they're they're, they're other places. And then on top of that, we're dealing every day with arrests that patrol makes. You gotta remember in, in our world, your engine is patrol. Patrol develops everything for you, if that makes sense. So what they do, let's give an example. So let's say I stop Jared mm-hmm. and and Jared's got a, a trunk full of dope. Okay. Yeah. So patrol hypothetical hypothetical purely hypothetical. So patrol is the initial instigator or they start it all. Yeah. Okay. And then it gets handed off to SEU or if if it's stolen property it gets handed off to CID. So then CID has to take all that gotcha. Paperwork, court, the whole nine yards. Uh, patrol comes in, they do a report, then they go back out and start looking again. Patrol's the in-between they, patrol, for all of these other, yeah, for, you know. Yeah, they feed that's, everything. Yeah. Yeah, Patrol's yeah, yeah. your, they're your feeder. They, they're the ones that, they're the, they're your backbone of your department. If I got pulled over by a patrol officer for speeding, what's the uh, best way to get off of paying that ticket? Probably just being honest and hoping he's having a good day. <laughs> <laughs> Bill, Bill got pulled over. Can, here's a question. Can, can the police pull people over on the interstate? Yes, sir. You can. So Bill got pulled over by a state trooper. Is that right? Like last week? Because he was yes. riding his bike on the interstate, and the state trooper let him go. And I don't think he should have done that. I think he should have given him a ticket. Would you? That's what right. What would you have done? Was he worried about you? He was very worried about me. Um, I'd have probably tried to load you up in the car and take you somewhere, get you off the interstate. To the jail? Would you have tried no, to take him to the jail? No, no. That's probably what I would have done if I had saw Bill. That's yeah. a good thing I'm not a police officer. Did you drive your bike, or did you ride your bike back home, or did you have to carry it home after he pulled you over? He said I could get off at the next exit, so okay. that's why I did. Yeah. Which I was going to. No. Are you into uh, Are you into crime documentaries at all? Anything like that? Do you believe get into it, that kind of stuff? Believe it or not, no. No. I don't. Uh, <laughs> it's like that's my job, man. I don't want to watch that stuff. You know, you're right. When I go home, I don't. I don't watch a lot of stuff. I don't turn my radio on at home. I don't do any of that. That's my that's my escape. So what do you do to unwind? What's your hobbies? Uh, really, just I like to walk and, mm. and and mess with the puppy dogs. I mean, I'm pretty. I'm. It's just just just. That's awesome. What kind of dogs do you have? 
Schnauzers, and I have a uh, Maltipoo, and also have a Bernadoodle. A Bernadoodle? Bernice Mountain Dog with a, with a standard poodle. It's one of the doodle, new doodle Is dogs. Is it big? Going to be about 70, 80 pounds. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Good dog? Wonderful dog, wonderful dog. Yeah, the, uh, I don't think I said it right a while ago, Belgian Malinois? Malinois. Malinois. Yeah, everybody, yeah. Um, trust me, everybody says it differently. Okay. I don't even know if I'm saying it right. Okay, well, yeah, that dog. So I have a neighbor that has one, and he got it from somebody that breeds them in West Virginia for the Navy SEALs. Have you seen these dogs, Bill? They are insane. Brian, what's the guy's name for the police department? Smith. Smith. He breeds them, right? Yes, sir. They're great dogs. At least they seem like they're... They're, they're, they're great dogs. They're extremely hyper dogs. Yes, they they're are. They're not for everybody. Yeah. Uh, in our world, of course, it's, it's a great dog because they're, they're, they run 120% all the time. Yeah, you're not going to outrun them. Mm, you ain't going to wear them out. I mean, <laughs> I mean, that's just how they are. I mean, sleeping's an issue for them. Uh, they're just, they're go-getters. Yeah. Yeah, it's not a dog I'd want to have no. in my house. And so, man, that's, uh, I'm so thankful for uh, you coming on and sharing a little bit about what you guys do and about what you do. I'm so thankful um, for our police. Um, I know that we are very blessed and paragold to have y'all. And, uh, you know, the people that I have heard talk about moving to the city, a lot of times one of the things that they look at is just how safe the city is and uh, how little crime we have. And, um, that's a big testimony to you guys and the work that you do. And I know that a lot of times it's probably thankless work and we don't even see it all, but, um, thank you for well, serving our city so well. And thanks for coming on today. Yes, sir. I appreciate it. Thank you. So that was chief of police, Todd Stovall, Bill, you know what I liked about the chief? What? That he said, yes, sir. And no, sir. To the me. whole time. The whole time. When are you going to start respectful. showing me that kind of respect? I would have to go back and relearn that somehow. <laughs> Man, I really enjoyed uh, hanging out with him. We're recording this um, outro the day after he came in, but we actually hung out, what, like an hour and a half? Yeah. Probably even after we recorded that On his episode. birthday. On his birthday. He gave right. you that much time on his birthday. Yeah, he did. And um, he's going to have to come back on because we talked a lot about just some really cool stories um, that he was involved in, some crime stories. Um, Which is a popular a, podcast genre too. So yeah, absolutely. Crime stuff. There was a, a serial killer that they end up arresting here f- in our town. I feel like we should just end it here. That yeah. way, it's, it's like a teaser. Totally. Well, then we'll do that then. So okay. um, tune in next time, guys, when we have Todd Stovall. But you can tune in even before then because we're going to have many more shows coming up, and so um, you'll want to be sure and listen to them um as always you can find us on our social media platforms instagram twitter facebook uh, go to our website paragolpodcast.com subscribe to our email list i'm sure we have more giveaways coming up uh to different um, places here in town restaurants and whatnot and um so yeah as always thanks for listening and until next time